As I begin today, I want to start by having you watch a video from an old show. Maybe you're familiar with it, Candid Camera. If you can roll that. The gentleman in the elevator now is a candid star. These folks who are entering, the man with a white shirt, the lady with a trench coat, and subsequently one other member of our staff will face the rear. And you'll see how this man in the trench coat <laughs> individuality but little by little he looks at his watch but he's really making an excuse for turning just a little bit more to the wall now we try it once again here's the candid subject here comes the candid camera staff three of them at least and uh this man has apparently been in groups before. <laughs> now, here's a fella with his hat on in the elevator. First he makes a full turn to the rear and Charlie closes the door. A moment later, we'll open the door. Everybody's changed positions. <laughs> now we'll see if we can use... Now we'll see if we can use group pressure for some good. Now, in a moment, on Charlie's signal, everybody turns forward. There, notice... They take off their hats. <laughs> and now, do you think we could reverse the procedure? Watch. It's all a bit ridiculous, isn't it? But I wonder how I would act in that situation. Would I have the courage to stand forward, stand to my principles, and make sure that I'm facing the front door of the elevator? Or would I give in? Would I give in to be like the crowd and turn around? Maybe I'd subtly look at my watch like the first guy a little bit, just turning a little bit more each moment. The reality is that we all tend to give in a little more than we'd like to think. We're affected by what we see and what we hear more than we'd like to believe. Uh, we tend to mirror the behaviors of those around us to look like them. Uh, this is what psychologist Alfred Bandura called modeling, and this is his theory. And the point is that we involuntarily start to act like the people around us because we want to fit in. We don't want to stand out from the crowd. We want to avoid the spotlight and avoid drawing attention to ourselves. And so we start trying to look like those around us. It may seem a bit absurd, especially this example in the elevator. But I think that's the point. If people could get somebody to do something so crazy as to literally turn away from the buttons, the door, and the, the lights that show you what floor you're on, how much easier is it 
do you think, for people to get us to imitate in small ways? The way people talk, the way they act, the way they deem certain things acceptable or tolerate different things in culture. It's easy to fall in line with those around us. It's easy to give in. See, we're shaped by the things we watch, the things we see. Even sitcoms, while they do entertain us, they also seek to shape us. Maybe you're familiar with the classic 90s show, Friends. And maybe if you've, if you've watched any of those old episodes or rewatched it, uh, you thought, oh, yeah, this is a pretty, pretty entertaining, pretty clever and funny show. And it was. But as you rewatched it, maybe you didn't even notice how often in that show pornography was referenced and talked about. And that's because the more you hear it, the more it gets normalized. You just don't even notice what's being said or what's being talked about. And we know from Scripture that, that pornography, that giving into those kinds of things is contrary to God's will. Even Jesus in the Sermon on the Mount said that to look at someone with lust is to commit adultery in your heart. We know that it's not okay, but the more we heard it on places like that show, the more it became acceptable in our conversation. Something that wasn't that big of a deal. Or think about when you watch TV now, the kind of crude language you hear. We're not shocked. We're not surprised. We're not outraged by it. That's just the way things are. Every TV show, every movie, every song has a subliminal message. Something that it's telling you is right or wrong, acceptable or not acceptable in our culture or in our daily lives. But it's not just the media. See, the same thing happens when you're talking with your friends, with your neighbors, your coworkers with the people you interact with on a daily basis. We learn from them what is acceptable in our culture, what's acceptable behavior. That's why we need to use the filter God gave us, our conscience. See, that's where we, we find the moral courage, is by listening to our conscience and what the right thing to do is. It's where we find the strength to avoid giving in to the crowd, avoid turning to the back of the elevator where we are able to stand firm in what we hold on to and what we believe. You see, the problem is, the more you violate your conscience, the less it registers. The less that gauge seems to work and the easier and easier it becomes to just keep doing the wrong thing and suddenly you stop hearing it at all and you don't get any kind of warning. Anything that says that your sins are wrong anymore. But if you're in God's word, if you're in God's presence on a regular basis, then that's where we start to sensitize, resensitize our heart to God's word. To be able to listen for the voice of the Holy Spirit speaking in us and telling us what's right and what's wrong, the path we should take. See, being in God's word is how we get drawn back into hearing God's law and what God says is best for our lives. Just like if you expose yourself to shows that have crude language, to a lot of violence or to sex, you become desensitized. You don't think any of it's wrong. Well, the same thing applies to God's word. The more and more we're in God's word, the more our hearts are renewed, restored, resensitized to what matters, to what's important. But what gives us the moral courage, 
to stand on our principles. You know, when you think about the great people in history who have, who have showed uh, an incredible amount of courage, people like Martin Luther King Jr., who stood against racial discrimination despite threats on his life and ultimately what took his life, despite the pressures from other people to protest violently, when he said, no, God's way is to do it peacefully, to stand up and show what's right. Where did he find that courage? Where did Martin Luther, going further back, find the courage back in the 1500s to make his stand, saying, my conscience is captive to the word of God. I cannot and I will not recant anything, for to go against conscience is neither right nor safe. Where does moral courage like that come from? It comes from a conscience that is captive to the word of God. See, Martin Luther King Jr. and Martin Luther himself were people who were consistently in God's word, whose hearts and minds were shaped by God's word. See, they had moral courage. And moral courage isn't blown here and there by the trending winds of culture. It isn't decided or overruled by a Supreme Court decision. No, our plumb line, our measuring stick is scripture, plain and simple. See, one person with a strong conscience who has the courage to stand pat in it and to stand up for it is an agent of change. They are a force to be reckoned with. As President Andrew Jackson once said, one man with courage makes a majority. Because that person isn't blown here and there with the trending winds. No, their anchor holds because they're anchored in the word of God. So regardless of the highs and lows, the ups and downs of life, they stand firm. You see, conformity is cowardice. It's giving in. It's taking the path of least or no resistance. And you can play the game by culture's rules, by the rules of dominant culture, and and you might be able to win at their game. But even if you do, you lose. Because you're sacrificing your integrity, your morals, your values to play by their rules. You're giving in. See, Paul in today's lesson says, In view of God's mercy, to offer your bodies as a living sacrifice, holy and pleasing to God. This is your true and proper worship. Do not conform to the pattern of this world, but be transformed by the renewing of your mind. Then you will be able to test and approve what God's will is, his good, pleasing, and perfect will. It's in the moments where our virtues are tested that we find out what we're really made of. Will we stand firm in God's word, or will we give in and go along with the crowd, take the path of least and no resistance? And if you choose to stand firm in God's word, you will stand out from the crowd. You will look different. But there's one truth I want to share with you. No matter what you do, you're going to offend someone. If you choose to be a people pleaser and try and go along with the crowd, you'll offend God by ignoring his laws, his statutes, his will for your life, by saying that what he says doesn't really matter. And if you choose to obey God and seek to follow him as best as you can, and we're all imperfect, you'll offend some people. Because they won't like that you have values, that you have integrity, that you're willing to say that something is wrong. You're going to offend someone. That's just the bottom line. 
See, but if God has spoken on a subject, how can we remain silent? How can we fail to speak? Do not call a sin a sin when we're in the church or when we claim to be Christian is as uncaring as running out of a burning building and failing to yell fire to warn other people. It's cold and it's callous. See, the sin of silence and the failure to keep our minds from conforming to this world can take many forms, many different ways, and it can be as subtle as giving in to political correctness. In our culture, it's wrong to say something is wrong, and quite frankly, that seems wrong to me. But as Christians, our response shouldn't be to fight fire with fire. We're not to be angry and berating other people or telling them how they need to get their act together. No, as Christians, we need to be known by what we are for rather than what we are against. If you see something wrong in the world, then create something better. Do something better. Write a better book. Draft better legislation. Criticize by creating. See, if you're not happy with the music or the way something is done right now, then do a better job at it. Find somebody, work with somebody who can create something better. See, talk about the better life, the fuller life we have in Christ. The better picture of love and of sex and of marriage that we have in the church because we know what marriage points to, Christ and his faithfulness to us. That's the picture of marriage we're supposed to give to other people. But there is still a time to call it like we see it. We still have to have that moral courage to call sin a sin. Because silence in the face of those things is not safe or sound for you, for your family, or for our community. See, it's important to speak the truth. Silence is cowardice, and it doesn't help anyone. A writer, Ella Wheeler Wilcox, once said that to sin by silence when protest is demanded is to make cowards out of men. See, as God's people, we have to stand up and create something better. We have to be willing to speak about what we believe is wrong when we see it. And we also have to be those kinds of people who are unafraid of standing out in a crowd. See, don't let your hearts and your minds be conformed to the patterns of this world. But as the Holy Spirit dwells in you, as, as you are now God's temple, be transformed by the renewing of your mind through God's word. Be willing to be different. And when those times come, when you find yourself giving into the crowd, when you find yourself turning the wrong direction in the elevator, as we all do, in those moments, ask for forgiveness. Repent. Turn back and walk in the other direction. Know that God forgives you and pray for greater strength and greater courage for the next opportunity that God brings your way. To stand, for, to stand firm in his word. Amen. If you take out your sermon points to remember, uh, the spiritual practice for this week, I want to challenge you to read through Galatians chapter 5, 22 to 26, and memorize the fruits of the Spirit. And then look at Matthew chapter 12, 33 to 35, where Jesus talks about bearing good fruit. And consider how your own actions reflect these characteristics. How good are we doing at bearing the fruits of the Spirit, at letting those 
show in our lives so that people might know that we've been transformed by God's spirit, by God's love in our lives. You bow your heads to me in prayer. Gracious Lord, Heavenly Father, we confess that we've all given in at one time or another to go along with the crowd instead of standing firm in your word when we knew that was what we were supposed to do. But Lord, we thank you that you have forgiven us, that you have absolved us of those sins, and we thank you that you continue to send your Holy Spirit into our lives, that, that you continue to dwell in us, empower us, strengthen us to be that salt and light in the world, to be people who do not conform, but who are renewed and transformed by your love, your grace, and your mercy. In Jesus' name, amen.